Welcome back to We Want More Superman, the podcast where we discuss the, I was calling it a short story, but Inyash pointed out that the term short story is commonly accepted to be 8,000 words or less, which is 32 pages-ish, and Metropolitan Man is over 80,000 words, so it's technically a novel. Where does so, novella fall into that? I have, I have no idea. Well, I'll have to ask Inyash, who's it's, written it's everything shortish. from a short story that is two sentences long to a book. So um, in any case, this is the the novel by Alexander Wales called Metropolitan Man. And today we're talking about chapters five and six. What do you think, Brian? Uh, I'm liking it. I like, I think, as I was just thinking about it, I think my the general thing I'm liking is all the things we don't know. Um, like, And so in some ways I'm hoping, and I think I said this last time, like, I hope we don't ever get too much into Superman's head because I like not knowing what the fuck is going on over there. Um, but yeah, and then like the other thing that kind of, the, the big unknown for me is I really don't know like where we're going with this. Is this going to be like some, you know, big showdown at the end between Lex and Superman or like is Superman going to die at the end of this? Is Lex going to die? Like, I don't, I have no idea really where this is going. I kind of like that. So is Superman going to get pissed and throw the earth into the sun? Yeah, exactly. Um, now it'll be that like bizarro Superman's going to show up. What's that guy's name? He was like uh, blockhead low res Superman. Oh, I was thinking of, um, the guy from, like I said, all my super knowledge comes from Man of Steel and Zod. Yeah, Zod, yeah. Neil before Zod. Right. Cool. But um, no, I think this is like from uh, the lame Super Friends thing. He was like a block. He was sort of like Frankenstein Superman. I can't remember. That's hilarious. Was, yeah. There and was I a really cool moment in Man like, of Steel. His like, uniform was like all kind of tore up and like he had like, I think it literally had like a cube shaped head. He talked like a caveman. That's funny. We're, we're, we're Superman's all eloquent and good looking. This is just the ugliest caveman they could find. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. There was this fun moment I remembered that I liked in uh, Man of Steel, which is not in this because, well, I mean, it's, it's it's homaged in Superman's crazy good hearing. But like at some point, I don't know, near the end of the movie, he like drops Lois off in a cornfield because he saved her from something or other. And then like she's talking to him and then he kind of just quirks his head and just flies away because he heard Zod attacking the farm where his mom was. And that guy's just like, oh, he is listening to the whole planet at the same time. And that's like the Superman. Because he's basically God. Right. All right. So what is God up to? Well, I don't know. <laughs> punching bad guys in the... Or no, he's not even really punching bad guys. He's stopping muggings and bank robberies and stuff. So He's, you know, tying them up with local pieces of large metal. Right. So... Yes. How do we jump into this one? So, yeah, I think so. We open up uh, with a bombing, right? Boom. Like, so it's, uh, I think it's like Lois is out and about in the world. Uh, and then, like, a bomb goes off like a block or two away. And so she, like, runs over. Uh, I like how badass. Where the fuck is Clark? She's like, her attitude when a bomb goes off near her isn't like, oh my God, oh shit. It's like, fuck yeah, I'm right near the action. Yep. Yep. Lois is hardcore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's another one of these, like, ah, oh, fucking Clark's not around again. Um, so she runs over there and then like Superman shows up, uh, and then the usual, um, and I think, what is this? Is this the one where I think where it's like, uh, you know, there's a big bomb and then a little bomb. I'm not really sure what's going on, but, um, but this is the one where it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're seeing like Lexus, like exploring other territory other than just like blow shit up. So this one is uh, mustard gas. And so like Superman comes out and, um, uh, he's like, oh, do you smell something? She's like, oh, yeah, it smells like horseradish. He's like, uh-oh, it's mustard gas. And so he has to, like, clear everybody out. Lois, uh, I think she, like, goes back in a little bit. She, like, makes herself a mask so she can, like, you know, get back close to the action or something. But so they kind of, like, take care of all that. Well, I think, and, and to show other people how to make a mask, She she's, uh, I don't know, a proper hero. 
<laughs> uh, like don't get me wrong, Superman's fun, but I, 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 I think he's, he's fun for not like his heroics. Right. Like the, the question isn't like, is Superman strong enough to beat up the bad guy? The question is like, what does he do with this moral quandary? But yeah. I, I like that. That was another good line from uh, one of the movies that was Dawn of Justice or Batman versus Superman. When Batman's like, you know, you're not brave. Men are brave. Cause it's like, yeah, if you're not in danger, I think we talked yeah. about this yeah, in, yeah. in the opening episode, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. I never felt like Superman was this big, brave hero. And granted, I'm sure there's all kinds of stories where he's a big, brave hero. But in my limited experience of Superman, it's just like, if you can't get hurt, you're not being, like, you're not brave. Yeah, you're, 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 you're heroic. To, he probably doesn't even have a flinch response because, like, somebody stabs him in the eye and it just breaks yeah. the knife. Exactly. He's just hanging out. Like, that would be weird to see, huh? Don't get me wrong. He's, <laughs> he's heroic. He's doing, he's doing nice stuff, but there's nothing brave about, like... Stand, you know, there's nothing brave about getting shot when you when you can't get hurt. <laughs> it's brave when Peter Parker risks getting shot because he's bullet permeable. Exactly. See, and that's like the that's my favorite thing about the Wolverine metaphor. Wolverine's not in the least bit bulletproof. Yeah, it hurts every time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess so. They sort of like that kind of all gets wrapped up, and as the literal smoke is clearing, uh, then Lois points out to him like okay, you know, they're clearly doing this to get to you and there's, you know, collateral damage. Anytime this happens, why don't you just turn yourself into Lex and, you know, ask him what he wants. Cause he can't, you know, really hurt you anyway. Um, and it was, it was just kind of this weird, uncomfortable interaction between them because yeah, she totally has a point, but at least in my head, like I also had in the back of my head was like, there's we don't know everything that's going on and maybe superman does so it's not just this like oh cut and cut and dry like oh superman's clearly in the wrong here and needs to listen to lois but it's kind of you know it's both it's not that lois is wrong at all so but and then the way he he seems at least to me like almost a little bit dismissive like like he doesn't have a a great response to the point she's making um but he's not going to change his mind and then he just sort of like walks away he's like i'm done with this conversation and he flies off um, yeah, I like that. And we get uh, like here, he doesn't really allow his reasons all that much, but he does later when he's, you know, talking to her as Clark. But um, I mean, she proposes like, hey, look, the bomber's trying to kill you, right? Why don't you just tell him go for it? And we cut out the possibility of collateral damage. And, you know, like she's like, you'll be fine. And he, he looks at her and he's just like, no, I don't negotiate. And if the bomber wants me at the sight of these bombs, I'm not going to play into his hands. And so she's like, wait a minute, did he just tell us that he's like, you know, telling us to go fuck ourselves and he's going to let the bombs go off. Um, kind of, sort of, yeah. It definitely kind of sort of sounds like that. Sorta, yeah. And I so, like the, like, because especially in our, like later interactions with Clark, when we know that Clark is lying, I like the, and that's why I like, like not being in his head because then we don't get to see as much of it. But I like the idea that he's clearly not an idiot and has thought about a lot of these things, you know, a, a fair amount. So it's not just like the decisions he arrives at are, you know, because he's like, you know, morally weak or just is too dumb to consider the implications. So, but again, it's also not that like, Oh, Lois, you just don't know any better and just trust what Superman says. But that, but so I like that, like, Oh, there's probably more going on here that we're not seeing. Um, and it doesn't mean that, that, that we, we can't really, you know, look at it. this sort of like those Dumbledore and Harry, uh, arguments was like i don't i didn't walk away from this thinking that like one of them is clearly right one of them is clearly wrong yeah they both make a compelling case like i mean the thing is i i'm sympathetic towards superman's position here because he's like look i don't know whether or not these things can hurt me like i don't even know if the mustard gas is going to have an impact on me and i breathed way more than all you guys like if i 
you know, they, she describes the, um, the impact of mustard gas, you know, blisters yeah. basically everywhere where it touches and where you breathe it. And he's like, if this fucks me up, like I can't be Superman anymore. He's, he's basically saying, he's like, would you rather me go die at one of these bombs or would you rather me be able to keep being Superman and stopping, you know, all the, not just the crimes, but like the catastrophes, like that sounds valuable. Right. And so yeah. on one hand, it, like, that's a very reasonable position to take. Um, you know, you, well, you for me, it's, yeah. For me, it seemed like if everything that's on the table right now is is everything. Like if if there aren't any unknowns out there, and if our kind of like baseline assumptions about what the consequences of things would be are kind of known, then I think like Lois is winning that argument. So for me, the ambiguity about it comes with okay, a there's um, probably things that she doesn't know that Superman does, but then there's also the like the whole unintended consequences thing that that Superman keeps bringing up that he's like, yeah, that's easy for you to say that I should do blah, blah, blah. But then I'm left having to deal with the consequences of that afterwards. And that stuff spirals. So like, like the Superman mostly like to the extent that he's, he's, he's winning the argument. It's, it's because, well, shit, you know, this is unknown territory. We don't know what we're, you know, what's going to happen. So we need to be careful. Uh, yeah, totally. And I mean, there's, I guess I, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, it's not merely a bravery factor. Like I was complaining about earlier, like this, this is the real case of like, okay, cool. If I'm, doesn't matter if I'm Batman, Spider-Man or whatever, like, do I die taking out this guy or do I keep being, you know, a superhero where I can do more good. And it's like, it might just be worth it to let, you know, the Joker blow up this boat. If it means that I can keep saving a hundred people a week or something. Right. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. Like you don't know how to factor that in. Like, exactly. You just so, that's what it, makes it fun. It's yeah, all it's not a big easy. question mark. Yeah. And yeah, if you like knew all the things like, oh, you know, I might get killed, but then these, like, if you knew what all of the pluses and minuses are, then you could, it'd be easier to, you know, come up with a decision, but you don't even know what they are. Yeah. Just, and like, okay, there's this amount of good I know I can do. And then like the more we widen that out, the more risk we're pulling in for just shit to go south that we don't know about. And so like, there's no clear answer of what the right thing to do is. Yeah. And like, there, there's also, uh, you know, it, like I said, it's it's not clear what level Superman is playing at if he's aware of, you know, bigger chess pieces or something. Yeah. But like, even if you just take it like the way the way I kind of one way of reading this at the surface level is like, this is a, a guy who, you know, decided, all right, cool, it's time to go be a superhero because he's got God powers. And I oh, you know, this is actually, I think, in the discord, I was talking to somebody about this, but that's part of what makes this like a lot of fun is that, um, you know, it. I get, I get more the impression. Well, I'll leave that aside actually for later, but the, the idea that, um, you know, he's never been in danger before. And so he's like, wait, this could actually hurt me. And that might actually hurt. And I could die. Yeah, I like too that like, but we actually don't know. So yeah, that's definitely a thought that we're, that's, you know, put in front of us, but like, we don't know to what extent Superman's actually worried. Like he may totally be where he may be like, Jesus Christ, I have no idea what would kill me. Like it could be that, or maybe he's, you know, has a fairly fair level of confidence about, about what couldn't, couldn't hurt him. Like we still don't know, like Superman's still so much of a black box. Yeah. And I like too that like, it seems equally plausible to me that, that either he's acting this way because he's just gee whiz wonder bread. And this is like the, you know, this is the naive uh, approach to how you would do this. Um, or, because he also seems at times to be like he's considered, you know, fairly sophisticated things, and that like that this is the end result of a pretty complicated line of thinking on his part. 
you know, taking in the, you know, bigger abstract concepts of, you know, even just beyond practical stuff, like what does this do to society if I, you know, turn us into the watchman and the whole world's, you know, infantilized and dependent on me. Like, it seems like he's also thinking about those things. Yeah. He's, I, he's definitely complicated and he knows what's up. Yeah. The way I kind of am reading this is like, I never know what level Superman is playing at, but whenever Clark is arguing on behalf of Superman, I sort of imagine that Superman's actual position. Because- oh, see, no, I totally don't. And, but that's what I like about it, though. It's like, especially because, like, you know, when Clark's talking, he's lying. And so then you don't know, like, how many levels deep is this lie? Because it seems like sometimes he is, like, purposely misdirecting, not just, like, trying to deny to, like, cover up, but that he's almost, like, trying to. Like there's this one line that we get in a little bit. He's like, are we having this conversation for his benefit? And it's almost like capital H is like we're talking about God. But and how weird that is for like Clark to be wondering about, oh, is Superman around when he knows he's not? Um, or when he knows he is. Or he knows he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like but like completely, you know, bullshitting his way through that. That that you can already see there's definitely like an extra level to the deception right there. Because he's not just merely you know, pretending not to be Superman. He's also like trying to, you know, further the fiction that there's, there is some Superman listening in other than the one that you're talking to right now. Um, so I like it. Cause then it like totally, you know, makes the unknowns even unknowner. I, I, I like where your head's at. <laughs> um, all right. So then we basically, he, he flies away after that. And Lois is like, wait, did he just say he's abandoning us? And then because Lex Luthor has like put, I don't know, a hundred fail safes and information gathering points in place. One of them is, you know, he, he gently bribed the police to tell just him anything. To have cops tell him everything up. I like, and there's just like this total level of trust to Lex, like the cops just so totally trust Lex Luthor that this is a, you know, completely inappropriate level of information they're giving him, but right. you know, he's one of us. He's helping. We appreciate your donations to the, to the police, to the police ball. And I'm like, that's, it's funny to remember like, that's a thing. I know. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, in exchange for your generous donation, you asked us to tell you about stuff about Superman. So he gets a call basically. And, um, he's like, they're, yeah, uh, sounded like, oh, when was that talk- a phone call? I guess I pictured, I had that in my head that like some cop actually showed up to his office with like his hat in his hand saying, yes, sir. No, sir. It's that it, it pictures both ways, but it does say it was a phone call, uh, okay. but it actually doesn't really make a difference. Like whatever it is, the cops, uh, it was something like kind of get had a more like deferential vibe if like they made a cop like drive out to his office and right come in and sit down and give him a face to face. Yeah, well, it, it, they they basically tell him like, oh yeah, the bombs are going back off, and um, Superman he he told that lady reporter that uh, um, like I, the way that the, the voice for the audiobook for this was great, um, but it's just I uh, did most of the, I I actually listened to the audiobook for most. I I went through and reread it, but uh, it was audiobook this time. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You, you recognized uh, Mercy Graves. Mercy Graves. Kate, back. <laughs> it's like the weird levels of like, what does internet famous mean? Because like after when they, going through like every sort of doing the credits and it's like Mercy Graves written by Kate Baker. I'm like, in my head, it was like the Kate Baker. I'm like, oh, wait, that sounds silly, doesn't it? But uh, Kate Baker, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and plug Kate. Uh, I, so I was totally surprised because, like, you know, Eniash must know her. She's done a whole bunch of reading for uh, Escape Pod and uh, Clark's World, which are both really great science fiction podcasts. Uh, and she's just really, really good. And her voice is dreamy. It's a good voice. Yeah, no, she's really good. So. I think that, and I'm not sure, but I'm guessing Eniash just knew her from the same place as you knew her and asked her to do it. And she's yeah, like, I guess yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I didn't know that she was internet famous, though. That's fun. I just, she's like, Famous in my internet. I have well, no idea famous. like how that works. For, for, for two people to find. I think she's gotten some some awards or something. She's actually really good. Um, so, yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, that was the other thing that reminded me, though, uh, and I think I brought this up on, uh, I can't remember, one of these podcasts recently. Um, the show uh, is the second Penny Dreadful, which was like set in like 1930s Los Angeles. Um, this Mercy character totally reminds me of, and I can't remember the actress's name. She played Marjorie Ty something something in a uh, in Game of Thrones, but anyway, she played these like multiple different characters on this uh, Penny Dreadful show. And there's this one character uh, that this totally reminds me. Actually, so it'd be roughly the same time time period. And I think he's basically like the mayor of Los Angeles, um, and she's like the secretary uh, to this dude. And it's like very much the same vibes. So it's totally reminding me of that. What's that actress's name? It's on the tip of my brain too. I'm going to look it up. You know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, the one who plays the. Um... She's sort of like the conniving wife of uh, Joffrey. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Her. She does. Look, she plays like four or five different yeah. characters because she's like actually some like evil goddess thing. That's awesome. Oh, Natalie Dormer. Natalie Dormer. Yeah. She did a really good job. So yes, yeah, so it's like very sort of like obviously le- lesbian, nerdy, like office assistant to the mayor. Um, she's always and she's sort of like a worm tongue kind of vibe to him. She's like, you know, planning ideas in his head. And it's like smarter than than he is aware. Never a good idea to hire somebody with worm in their name or tongue, for that matter. Anyway, um, worm tongue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's totally. Like, but that, that's a little like she's not this the mercy character here. It's kind of that same thing. Like she's not sinister in this one, at least not so far. Um, but it is that like oh she's like hyper competent and in his ear and has more power than anybody outside of outside of that dynamic would be aware of. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm liking that character. It's like a cool little dynamic. She's sort of like the alternate Alfred. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it because he's doing all the you know stuff, but she's she's like like a butler. She's like an assistant, but yeah. she has like so much more than just like the bring me a cup of tea and tell me you know a good moral lesson, Alfred. Um, she has, and and we get a lot more of it later in these in this chapter and in the next one where she's just like this implacably cool, uh, like calm demeanor, but also like really intelligent. And he ta- and Lex talks up like her ability to like flawlessly play the devil's advocate and uh, like help him, you know, generate it, you know, whatever thought he's trying to get to and also call him out on his, on his, you know, uh, yeah. And that, like, we'll yeah, she's there, not, yeah. she's not intimidated by him. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Like sort of neutrally. So like not in a confrontational way, but that like, she'll just is willing to, you know, tell him that he's full of shit um, and not, you know, not back off from that just because she's worried about, you know, that he's billionaire boss guy. I just get the vibe that she's never been worried about anything, that she's just the most like chill, like yeah. confident person ever. All right. So uh, the cop tells him that Superman told that lady cop that it sounded like he was going to ditch us and let the bombs just go off, which the cop didn't really relay it that well. Um, like that, that, was, that was actually sort of how Lex said it back to him. I mean, like the cops just saying, oh, Superman isn't going to negotiate. And, and so Lex said it back like, oh, he's going to abandon us. Yeah, it, like the cop says. The cop just kind of shrugged. Just, yeah, the cop says, and then he just flew off. Like he didn't want to hear any any more about bomb, or like he didn't want to hear any more about any bombs. Like he was done helping out with them, and like that is not a good rendition of what happened, right? Yeah. Like, and then Lex is like, he's abandoning us. And, well, I don't know. It sort of sounded like it. So well, thanks for the heads up. Um, and then he sits there and he steeples his fingers menacingly. And then, he, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, oh wait, yeah. I need to not look like I'm steepling <laughs> my fingers menacingly. No, doesn't he like? I can't remember now if there was anybody here, but doesn't he say something like, oh dear, this looks bad or something like, but it's completely for the camera. Uh, like Mercy's around. Camera, so I think the camera that is Superman. Yeah. He's like, oh mercy. It appears that the clockwork bomber is back and using different tactics. I believe chemical agents are mentioned. 
Um, oh, yeah. And because this is in his office and by now he's all lead lined, so he's not. Although Superman can still hear through lead, so there you go. He still has to worry about that. Exactly. Yeah. So every everything he's doing this for a show. It also says that he says, um, I believe chemical agents were mentioned and then radioactive and biological too, that the person he was pretending to be didn't know that. And like it's it's this sort of thing, like Lex is super sympathetic and i'm totally you know he hasn't made like a point that i think oh man dude you're you know he hasn't made his pro-fascism argument yet right like <laughs> but the, the the fact that he effortlessly slips into different personas to bullshit different people like that to me that just doesn't feel like something a good person does yeah and he's really interesting because because he, he's he's not like cartoonishly evil he's not sort of like a quarrel kind of thing going on um but like we're getting this it's just this kind of weird uncomfortable thing because I think in a little bit, uh, he'll say like, oh, you know, basically it's the, like, he's not a sadist thing. Like he took no particular pleasure in murder. <laughs> um, and that, but like that description, even though he's like saying that, that like, okay, he's not a sadist, he doesn't hurt people for the sake of hurting people. There was that. So you do at least get that like flag planted. But at the same time, as I'm reading that, the impression I'm walking away with is just how sort of like dead inside he is. Like these are all like very cold completely correct calculations about what does and doesn't make sense. But all of the steps he makes and the things he's willing to do in order to get there are just from this like completely, you know, room temperature reaction to everything um, and only making the logical next step decision and kind of no, um, no like <laughs> humanity behind any of it, but not like both without malice or without just kind of benevolence. It's just sort of like, he's just this, you know, He's nothing but the calm decision. Yeah, it's like Lex took no special pleasure in murder. Like you and I, I think, have a different reaction to murder. It's not that we don't take any special pleasure in it. It's like, oh no, that's terrible. That sh- we we should mm. do our best not to kill people. Lex's reaction is like, oh, I don't, I don't enjoy murder. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes murder is necessary, and it just you just gotta. Yeah, it's like, yes, yeah, so, and it, I guess it like sort of helps like underline like all of the everything he's worried about is you know he's right to be worried about them um although i'm not necessarily on board to like and therefore we must kill superman although i guess i'm i guess my impression isn't that he's fully like he hasn't like decided that that's the outcome that must happen it's just like he's thinking that's probably what's going to need to happen and he definitely needs to make sure he can if he needs to but um just that like every like there's that these wheels that he's you know spinning up and you know the huge amount of i'm a billionaire in 1930 dude resources you kind of bring into play are all sort of backed by this like completely like almost like inhuman you know psyche behind it it's all correct in a very dry way but um and not yeah again like there's not malice behind it but also like you know this isn't who i would want like watching my kid you know if i had to go out right (laughs) yeah it's like uh, I, I get the impression, at least he hasn't said outright, like my plan here is to kill Superman. I sort of just imagine that he, he wants some way to make sure that Superman's in check. Yeah. Like he, he, like he wants humanity to have a silver bullet in case things go off the rails. I think that's, that's where I'm currently modeling him at. Yeah. Like, well, I, I really, that, that's one of the things I really like about this is like, at least from where we are right now, I feel like Lex, like our understanding of Lex is very transparent. Like, I don't think there's any, there may be some like little details or something that we don't know, but that I don't feel like there's some ulterior motive behind Lex that we don't yet know about. Like we fully know Lex 
maybe doesn't hasn't fully decided he needs to kill Superman, but he definitely has decided he needs to be able to kill Superman. Exactly. Like, I yeah. feel like we fully understand Lex. Like he's not he's not hiding anything from us. Right. And that's that's what I like about it. If his if his plan was like, oh my god, there's a superhero, we must put him down. Like, okay, yeah, that that's way more unambiguously bad guy. But the idea of like, look, he's strong and he could you know he could kill whoever he wants. Shouldn't humanity be able to stop him? Like that actually sounds super reasonable, right? So I like that. Uh, so he, he's sitting there kind of speculating the stuff we talked about with the bombs and he's trying to guess at what Superman's thinking. Like on the one hand, maybe Superman's actually afraid of dying. Um, on the other hand, maybe he's, uh, you know, he's bluffing. Um, and so like he's, he's, he, he said this in order to make people think he wouldn't show up or something. Um, and so apparently Lex has some contingency plan, but he's decided against using it because, well, the bombs are already out there and, you know, if he stops showing up to the bombs, maybe then I'll use my contingency plan or whatever. But um, so at this point, he says, uh, if Superman had, had anticipated the bombings and outright stated his refusal, perhaps Lex would never have spent the money and time going down that path. But with everything set up, the majority of the costs had already been sunk. I know that was very the, made it all sound very kind of cold and calculated. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, at some point you can kind of think about, you know, yeah. well, I'm 90 percent there. Might as well just finish. But yeah, yeah but when, I mean, like all these things he's talking about involve, but yeah, involve people being dead. So that's yeah. true. Um, so yeah, so then we jump back to the Daily Planet. Um, every time I put in our notes, like the phrase Lois and Clark, it always sounds so cheesy. Lewis and Clark. Like, yeah. I know, right? It's every time. Um, but yeah, so we're sort of kind of given another little like little painting of, of what it's like for Lois and Clark working together. Uh at the paper that Clark's a hunt and pecker on a, it's a really good sort of like visual for me. Like I can totally see, you know, some dude, especially those old school typewriters, you know, they weren't just mechanical, but they were like very hyper mechanical. You had to pull that, you know, press down on the key, like a full half inch to get it to, to go. So I can totally see this dude, like, you know, index fingers only going. I have one of those. My grandma's first typewriter from her, from the first job where she had one. And it's, yeah, it, it's, and so I, it does a great job because I picture, you know, this guy who's six and a half feet tall, hunched over, looking at his keyboard, poking it with his index fingers, looking up. Like, <laughs> I had, uh, there's a, it was like one of my very first early programming jobs. We were all like shoved together into a way too small office. So I'm at this like tiny little half desk, like the computer in front of me. And this other guy I'm working with, this is, and I'm, you know, six, four. And he, actually, and back then I was, it was before I'd lost all the weight. So I'm this like big, dude on a tiny little desk clacking away at a keyboard. And this guy just walks in. He just, he's like walking by and he stops and he like comes back. He's like, I'm sorry, man. I just had to tell you, like I saw you and the vision I had in my head was just like a gorilla on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what I was picturing with like, when Clark's, you know, clacking away at his little his mechanical typewriter. He's, you know, yeah, he's hunched over and clack, 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 especially because, you know, man of steel could like stick his hand through the typewriter. Well, and there's no way too that like he couldn't type at you know the physical limit of the keyboard, right? Yeah, exactly. But he's just the, like his uh, his constant commitment to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Rachel and I watched uh, uh, the Prestige last weekend. That's a good. Movie. And uh, it's a great movie. And it, I mean, it's old enough where spoilers are whatever. But like, it's a you know feuding magicians, and it's way more fun than that sounds. Um, but part of the uh, commitment to the you know the the scheme is like we've got to like 100 commit in our real lives so that our magic tricks work 
Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's like this one where they're trying to figure out how like this, this old Chinese guy, like, you know, brings uh, goldfish bowls up onto the table and then they're following him outside and he's like hobbling really careful into his, uh, his carriage and stuff. And they're like, yeah, so he, he's actually fine. Right. He's just pretending this so he can do the trick. And it's like, yeah, he, this must be it. He's, he's committing to this character hundred percent of the time in public. And that's what Clark is doing here. Like there's no reason why Clark Kent couldn't be a, an adequate typer. Right. But no, yeah, I like that. especially because like we know what, like, yeah, when we see this, we know that that's Superman. Like that's a level of sort of mental sophistication to Superman that we have to like make sure that we realize like, no, he's not actually this dolt. He's keeping up this level of deception and fully committed to it and capable of, you know, walking and chewing gum at the same time <laughs> while he does it. So and that, that's part of what makes it fun is that like, you know, he, he could have just been average, you know, he wouldn't type faster than the average person, but no, he like makes it so no, no, I'm actually really bad at, you know, I'm uncoordinated. I'm, I'm constantly out of breath. I'm, you know, like all this stuff, he, he could just be, a, he could pretend to be an average person, but he pretends to be so much like this, you know, uh, oaf. In fact, Lois talks about, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like the line I put the horse. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's what she says after the quote I pulled here, which was, um, yeah, and it's actually as she's like watching him, you know, hunt and peck at his keyboard. Um, she says, Clark Kent wasn't as dumb as he looked. It had taken Lois a long time to figure him out, but she was pretty sure she knew what games he played. Clark Kent wanted to be underestimated because it would make it easier for him to exceed expectations. Life pro tip right there. Which is also actually like, that's what's awesome about that. Like that's the like eight dimensional chess thing going on. That's what she sees is going on. And that's totally not what he's doing. Um, but he, he would love that that's how she's taking it, but he, you know, he's Superman and he wants her to think that he's a, you know, just a little bit smarter pretending to be dumb rather than, you know, fucking Superman. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I like that. It's like, that's sort of, that's the extra layers of bullshit going on. It's awesome. I also just like the, uh. She says something about how, you know, if you were actually good at math, you wouldn't need people to think you were a horse. But like, <laughs> if they think you're a horse, then when you do, you know, pump out the occasional math, then people think you're great. And so life pro tip, under promise and over deliver. <laughs> I don't know, man, that sounds really hard. You know, I probably can get it done in a couple of weeks and then you finish it, you know, on Tuesday afternoon and just coast for the rest of the week. Right. And there's no way we can get it done in time, Captain. <laughs> So then they have this like kind of, um, and that, that's what I like about it where, uh, like, it's like I said, from my perspective, when Clark is making an argument and he's like, well, pretend you're Superman. I like to think that Clark, cause he, you know, he's, he's not making this argument for Superman's benefit. He's, he's trying to like, I get the idea that he's trying to bounce his ideas off of a person that he trusts and likes. Um, and he's like, well, let's imagine this is where Superman is coming from. What would that, what would that, what would you say about that? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, let, let's imagine Clark. Let's imagine. Where <laughs> let's Im- from. Pretend I'm Superman. And so, um, so she shows up and he's like, you look like you're in, in a bad mood. And she's like, I am Superman's flown the coop. He's not gonna help out with the bomber anymore. He's like, Oh, why not? And he's like, I don't know. I guess he wasn't sure whether it would affect him or not. And then Clark, that makes sense. And she's <laughs> like, what the fuck? And, well, let's just say you walked down a dark alley one night and got shot only to find that the bullets didn't do more than tear your blouse. So you might try shooting yourself again to see whether they're really bulletproof, but um, you certainly want to go like drink poison. Cause all you know is that you're bulletproof. And she's like, well, sure. But you know, even if he doesn't know he's protected, like he's still supposed to not be a wimp. He's supposed to be a hero. Right. And she makes this, yeah, she makes the point that I was making. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage to walk up to a guy with a gun when you know that the gun can't hurt you. Superman says he wants to be a symbol and then runs away the first time he gets hurt or that he might get hurt. That's what I don't get. I like though the like at least that sense of like 
because I guess our understanding of Superman is always just like that he is basically in like unless you involve kryptonite, he's basically invincible. Um, but that this idea that maybe he is legitimately like unaware, because how would he know? Um, it's not like he, you know, took some seventh grade life science class about what it means to be a Kryptonian. <laughs> um, like he doesn't, he legitimately doesn't know like what can and can't harm him. And so I sort of like that idea of like, you know, that kind of insecurity, um, being brought up with him and he's like, well, shit. And then I could believe, I guess I'm not dead set on that, on this being how, you know, the Superman personality works, but that, that he really is the, the wonder bread version of his decision-making being that like, I need to be able to do the most good. And if I die, I can't like, I can believe that as being like legitimately the thought process he's going through, but that, but that if he did have, you know, some actual sense of just, you know, fear of his own mortality and not knowing what can and can't kill him. And especially knowing that there's, you know, a powerful person out there that's trying to figure out what can and can't kill him, that he's, you know, actually fearing for his life. Um, but then even actually having the Wonder Bread version of that, which is, oh, if I die, then I can't do good anymore. But I like that because all of that felt like very believable. Like, I think like most of our like then later understanding of Superman is like he's fully aware of what it means to be Superman. And he knows, you know, he's never walking into anything with any sort of indecision about or, you know, uncertainty about what the consequences might be. But that you know, this guy legitimately doesn't know if mustard gas can hurt him. And I think he says yeah. that outright there, like early on, he's like, I think I'm okay. Uh, but he like, didn't know. And he's willing to kind of wade in and, and take the risk. But, but like, it is a risk. Like he doesn't know for sure. Like nobody's ever tried to poison him or. You know. Well, and, and that's at the point where he says, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go to the rest of these. Cause you know, I don't know if the next one will kill me. Mm -hmm. And so then Clark is kind of making the argument on his behalf where it's like, well, sure. But how many, you know, how many people does Superman save in a week? Wouldn't it make sense for him to, you know, stay alive and save people rather than risking death? And she, she points out this really, you know, I think sound argument that I think is what persuades. So in my mind, here's what happened. Like Superman decided, you know what? These bombs could kill me. Fuck that. I'm out. Um, I should, I, it makes more sense for me to keep being Superman than to risk being blown up um, or poisoned or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, he, then as Clark, she, he's talking with Lois and she says, well, look, sure. But you're not thinking about this long term. Like Superman's afraid that he might die. So, okay, cool. Like, so he backed off the bombs. Let's say the bombs stop. And now what, what do you think will happen? Well, they'll try and get Superman in another uh, circumstance where, you know, say it's like a train that flips over, but instead of it just being a regular train, it's like, it's spilling poison everywhere. And Superman shows up thinking that it's just, uh, you know, a regular train derail or something. And then boom, bomb. And then, uh, then it's Clark and he says, he's nodding slowly because Superman can't figure out whether or not there's going to be a trap. And this is where it talks about. Yeah, uh, you can sort Clark. of like feel it like clicking in Clark's head at that point. Yeah. And then she says, yeah, Superman's got a problem either way. That problem is that someone mean, with means, motive, and intellect is trying to kill him. And if he doesn't deal with the bombs, it's going to be something else, something that he won't see coming. And uh, um, this is where you pulled at this line too, where uh, he looks up at the ceiling. Are we having this conversation for his benefit? I know. It should, it should have been capitalized H. Right. For his benefit. But I, I just love that. I mean, he even, he's going to pretend, you know, Superman might be overhearing what you're saying here, Lois. I know. That's what I like about it. Like, that's like, that shows us, like, for us, and Lois can't see it, but like, oh, like the levels that, that Clark slash Superman is, is thinking while he says that. Cause he knows what that, what that means when he says that. Exactly. It's, so, it's yeah. just a light. And then it also reminded me just like the weird way that, like, because, we already know that Lex is thinking in that way. And now 
Lois is too, that like, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, like um, all things you say are being heard by Superman at all times. Just that kind of very weird conservative Christian vibe of, you know, God knows when you're jerking off. Yeah. Nothing is ever private. I know. It's just a, and it makes a, uh, it, it, it would be a weird world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, then this is the part that I, I didn't notice until this read, but um, so uh, she shrugged, which she meant yes, but then uh, Perry's door slams open and she looks over and he's like, there's been another bombing. And uh, it's, oh, I think only been two hours since the last one. So they're not going off every two hours. Oh, and then, yeah. then she turns to Clark and she's like, let's go. But Clark was already gone. Um, so yeah, and that in while they were having that conversation, yeah. Yeah. Was at some point that he decided he heard it and decided basically not to flinch and not to say anything so that he and was, not to go do anything about it. Yeah. And continue, he could have said, excuse me, I have to go take a piss, but no, yeah. he, he like, I think while, you know, cause news travels slower before, you know, uh, Perry didn't get a text, right. Somebody yeah. ran to a phone <laughs> and called him. And so some, some minutes ago, the bomb went off. So during this argument where she's persuading Superman himself, like Superman shouldn't be a wimp and he should go fight these bombs. Like, I think up until Lois convinces him, he was going to sit this out. And so he heard it go off and he's like, yeah, you know, not going to risk it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and yeah. That, and that reminds me of uh, a thought I was having as I was uh, listening to this chapter was like how different our world is now, like just sort of like the information gap between this world and the world that we all live in today. And I think I was reminded of that when like later we get, we get to some insight into uh, Lex, you know, he's, graphing vectors of where Superman is flying back and forth and, and slapping some math at it. Um, and how, Oh, just let me, you know, put that together in an Excel spreadsheet that feels to us and is not that big a deal. And it was both like, so both I had like the question in the back of my head of how, how practical are these levels of, Oh, let me go out and gather data and put it together back in that, in that time period. But that also just like how much basically like not even so much about the story, but how much the world has changed of, how much harder it was to make decisions and gather information because there's no, you know, there are no text messages. There's no Google to look things up um, that, you know, only Lex Luthor can, you know, put out all of these feelers for, you know, he puts out a bunch of dudes sitting on rooftops to, you know, find out which way Superman is flying at what time that, that, that sort of just changes everybody's concept of like what's possible uh, or what's practical um, and the things that are knowable um, that, you know, that it it's only been in the last 20, 30 years that we've had this kind of um, assumption of how many things are just sort of automatically knowable just because some human on the planet somewhere knows it. Therefore, I can know it after 30 seconds of Googling. Like that's a fundamental difference in your understanding of how the universe works than humanity has had to operate under all the way up until now. And that this story is set during that time, sort of like, you know, information deserts. Um, and like, like Lex is working from this, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, find out everything I can and, and make, you know, make decisions based on as much information as I can get. But that like how much harder that was back then, like those little things about like, okay, you know, um, Perry just found out that the bomb went off that like, oh, he's probably the, you know, one of 10 people in the city at that point that know about it. Um, whereas that like if that happened today, you know, it'd be all over Twitter. Sound blast radios of the bomb. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah like, people you know, in, like yeah, if today that bomb happened, then like 20 minutes later, there'd be people in Pakistan that knew that that bomb went off in New York. Oh yeah, it's wild. Um, and it's, it's fun to think about. And I imagine that was a lot of fun for Alexander to think about when writing this story. Like 
the limitations on an information gathering. It's like, all right, well, what would I do if I wanted to know what was going on, but I didn't have access to my Twitter feed? Well, I guess if I had unlimited money, I'd pay people to sit around on rooftops and write down what they saw. Like that's the best. Yeah, and I was just thinking, like, just even dumb shit about like, I mean, just that that dumb stuff about just calculating vectors. You know, the time that something happened and the you know speed he was running and the direction he was going at a particular time of day, like that shit's way easier with a computer. But like, oh, he's going to do that like the hard way, like with like chalk on a board or you know a piece of right. paper and like drawing shit out and. Like he's having to do long division. Yeah, the information. He didn't even have a calculator. I know, right? Wait, no, yeah, I guess not. He would. Have, I mean, yeah, I think they had like mechanical calculators, but they weren't in any kind of way that you would have used. Actually, no, I don't even think they had that back then. But yeah, no, he would. Have, he would have had to look because so yeah, and all that stuff he was doing that would have involved trig, and he would have been having to like look up trig from a table in a big thick book. Like, what is the sine of forty three degrees? That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's insane to think about now, like. You know, we have more, we, you and I have access to more information, you know, sitting on the toilet as long as we have our phone with us than the president of the United States had access to 40 years ago, like it, it, or 30, right? It's just like, we, we have the, the edifice of the world's knowledge, but also just like we're connected to the entire planet in a way that would have just been world changing if a superpower, if a national superpower had it 40 years ago. I know. Yeah. It's like, it's changed the universe. Like the world we live in is fundamentally different because of that. Yeah. And it's Makes funny it fun that, and because that's like so recent. And I think especially like, like you and I, even me more so like we're right on that cusp. Like I can remember meaningfully a world in which cell phones and an internet did not exist uh, and what life was like during that. And it was way less convenient. Um, and even more than like convenience things, like there's shit that's just a lot better by virtue of the fact that you can be always connected and just know something as soon as you want to know it. Um, yeah. And I think like, that's like anybody in their twenties or younger, like probably doesn't have that sort of like visceral understanding of just how weirdly different it used to be. Yeah. My cousin turned 20 yesterday, the day before. And like, she, you know, she was born after nine 11. She was born after, uh, I guess the iPhone hadn't come out yet, but cell phones were still were popular, right? And so, like, she's never not had a a phone that was connected to the internet. Yeah. And it's it's weird because like I didn't get a phone until I was like fifteen, and so I I remember just you know being able to leave the house and be like, I'll be home in eight hours. You know, hope you know you guys just hope I don't die. And I would often be home in eight hours, and if I wasn't, they'd have no idea what was going on, right? Yeah, like, see, that's like even to me, like, it even blows my mind thinking about my own life. I went through college without a cell phone. Think about you that. Learned like, to even, code. even I know you, and yeah. you ought to be impressed by that. There was like big, fat, thick fucking books I had to read to do that shit. Yeah, this guy learned to code by reading hard, books man. and talking to experts on the phone at a one eight hundred number. Oh yeah, I told you that story. Yeah. yeah. It's some yeah, some employee from Microsoft just taught me how to program because also I'm an English major, which like be double impressed that I learned how to code. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a weird fucking time if you think about that. Like, yeah, you can just like as you know, as a kid, I like get on my bike and like say, I'm like, hi mom, fuck off, I'll be back later. Um, and you know, if I was like dead because I was riding my bike down a hill off a jump with no helmet, um, she'd find out 12, 18 hours later, maybe. Yeah, that was. I would have like, been. Oh, where's my kid? Like, like I think like a lot of people now that like don't have a, like that visceral understanding of what it is like to be truly unreachable. Yeah. Like, where are they at? I don't know. Well, when are we going to find or out? Your kid is if your kid is unreachable for thirty minutes, it's like a panic event, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like when I was, I don't have any memory of this, but I was five or six, 
I apparently told my mom I was going to go check the mail, which I think was like at the bottom of the driveway or something. And instead, I went for a short bike ride around the park across the street and crashed and locked myself unconscious. And a neighbor carries me home. I had split, I had like cut my face. And so he, he carries home this limp, you know, bloody faced child and is like, is this yours? And like, <laughs> that, that, that's how things happened back then. That just blows my mind, right? And literally dozens of us survived those decades. <laughs> dozens of us. <laughs> All right. So we're cutting to Sal Moroni, who I think might be a candidate for my favorite character in the story. Oh, yeah. He just, he, he strikes me as, I, I picture him wearing a bathrobe and sunglasses. He is, he's the dude. <laughs> I picture him more as a, no, and I could totally see, see that. I'm like, oh, I could see that version of the story too. For me, and I have no idea why, maybe it's just because of the, like, the New Yorky Italian sounding name, but uh, I kept picturing like Mo from Mo's Tavern. Like oh yeah, I guess that works too. Like, I, I I just picturing him like, and I'll, I'll explain it here in a sec. But I and I guess I got to say I'm joking. My favorite characters are Mercy, Lex, Lois, Superman in that order. But a close fifth is Sal. So his job, he's a Superman spotter, which means that he sits on a rooftop on a rooftop with a notebook and drink beers while looking out over the skyline. <laughs> and he listens to the radio and smokes like a chimney and just like if he sees Superman, he jots down his best guess on how fast he's going and which way he was going. And where he's coming from. It is like a great visual though, like the 1930s New York rooftop, you know, dude sitting with that. And you don't picture like some kind of like foldable, you know, chaise lounge because that doesn't fit with it. So, you know, I, I just picture like some weird wooden chair and you're sitting up on a rooftop with some old schooly like post-prohibition beer. Right. Like up yeah, on some like pulls up a comfortable chair from his apartment. Yeah. Just sitting, you know, next to the water tower on top of his building or something. Yeah, exactly. And then there, um, there was a line where like, yeah, sure. It's boring. Or yeah, here it was. It was boring most of the time, but boring was the same as relaxing. If you looked at it the right way, like, <laughs> yeah, this guy knows how to that live. It was very dude. Okay. When yeah. you say that, that's very dude. He seems, he seems really chill. He's like, yeah, sure. It's boring, but it's also really relaxing. And that that's nice. So uh, he's, he's got his life figured out and he gets <laughs> to enjoy the little, the little victory. Yeah. And he gets to enjoy the little pleasures of it too. He says like he saw when Superman went in slow to the Daily Planet building and then the next day he read the interview. He's like, yeah, it was so cool. I was able to make sense of the notes I take, man. That's awesome. And so then when the radio started talking about bombs, Sal cracked another beer and settled in. Today would be a busy day. We're spotted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, so that, that, that's our segue into like, okay, so like basically like the show is on now with Lex and that the, uh, after, after, um, Clark and Lois like rushed out that like the bombs are now happening every two hours, um, which later will get to be like, uh, and this is taking a toll on Superman. Um, he's a bit stressed out. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and we, it, this does, it's, it is almost kind of like put together as almost like a montage scene. Like, Oh, we're just getting bombs every two hours and Superman's having to take care of them. He takes care of a bunch of them. Some of them he's able to defuse some of them not, but it is just kind of a like laid out as, and now there's just mayhem every two hours. Yeah. And, uh, like Lex sends his employees home after the third bomb. Cause he's playing up the, you know, I'm a nice business owner person, whatever. But, um, yeah. And again, just like all the little details, like, oh yeah, well, of course I'll put out a reward for information leading to the bomber and I'll help the police any way I can, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I had so- like, I played, played forward, like in my head, like some like alternate scenario where like, okay, yeah, he's put out, you know, an award for information and then some oh, information starts coming in and it's, you know, either completely full of shit, but you know, he has to pretend like he doesn't know. And so like, let's play that out or it's, you know, semi half actually, you know, valid. And, but that like, he fully commits to the lie. And so he's like having to play out the whole thing. 
uh, so that he appears like he's, you know, the guy that's sincerely interested in, you know, uncovering the details of this horrible crime. Um, that the, and that like totally felt in character for him. Like he would like play that to the hilt. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's got that. And then, uh, there was the, Oh yeah. The line at the end of that where, um, he's like, he says that, uh, he was extremely skeptical that any path could be drawn back to him, but like Luther was cautious. And so a false trail had been laid instead. Oh yeah. And I guess that's a reference to the, the stuff that he laid out with, uh, with the bomber dude. Right. I think with that and like the implication that it was, um, what's his name? Uh, Willie Calhoun. Willie Calhoun. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, and he didn't really try to tie those together. Did he? He sort of tried to make the, what was it? Harry Kramer. I think tried to make Harry Kramer, just kind of an independent entity from Willie Calhoun, as far as a conspiracy goes. Yeah. But I think that he, he, he put like just enough stuff, like, um, you know, he laid enough breadcrumbs to where it looks like Willie might have had something to do with it. But oh yeah, because so because yeah, yes, yeah, so we got we're getting a little ahead, but yeah. So he he purposely made it look as if okay, yes, this is all Harry Kramer, but Harry Kramer got a bunch of got a big bunch of money from a you know dead uncle in what Florida or something, um, right? And but that he like purposely made that story you know shaky and that like capable of being uncovered and tracked back. So yeah, I guess I didn't put that together. Like he made that if they look at that too closely, it will fall apart. But when it does fall apart, it will look like it points back to Willie Calhoun. I, exactly. I together, yeah. Which then is like a letter like, Oh, you'll think you have seen through the, the deception. Uh, and, but that the thing that you think you're uncovering is actually just another deception. It's deceptions all the way down. I love it. Lex just lives at he. I want. I want to. I want the fan fiction where he and Mad Eye Moody just sit there and uh, <laughs> out some. You know, they're sitting there building. I don't know some defensive base or something. Just go nuts. Lex would definitely want to hire Mad Eye Moody. Oh yeah, and you would never it's trust. It's too valuable a skill not to have on the payroll. Right. All right. So uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Then we get to officers. What Milheiser Kennedy and, Kennedy. and Milheiser? Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they truck up ten, 10 flights of stairs to go. But yeah, so this is where we find – they find the – they don't know stage, but the staged suicide of uh, Harry Kramer, the bomber dude. So that after Lex has had him make four dozen bombs and put them all over the city, he then has the dude killed. Wah, wah. Um, can't have loose ends. That's right. So um, I like how <laughs> – I forget which cop it was, but like, so they get in there, there's a body hanging. They follow like an anonymous tip to this place. Right. And there's a body hanging in there and he sets up the chair. Cause he's like, well, you know, some people, sometimes uh, people will stage a suicide, but really like they forget the little details, like the chair not being the right length. And it says that he was disappointed when the chair was the right height. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is just sort of point out to us that yes, you know, Lex doesn't hire non-professionals. They're going to do it. They're going to fake a suicide. They're going to fake it correctly. That's right. But also just like how he's like, oh, I, I thought there would be some conspiracy here, but it looks like open and shut case. Uh, <laughs> and then they find like a book, of course, because you know, it I makes you wonder whether or not. How, like, the, how to make, how the, I'm definitely the guy that made the bombs, makes bombs book. Right. Like there's no way that, you know, uh, Kramer would need to reference his copy of the anarchist yeah. cookbook to make these bombs. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm assuming that the people who murdered him also brought the book and, you know, put it underneath some folders or whatever. And uh, they're like, oh, look, there's an address right here. It might be the place where the bombs are made. <laughs> so, like, everything's just put together in this nice little neat package. Um, then you get this nice cut to, uh, like, just the way it opens. It's like, so it's a line break. And then Lex Luthor was a people person. People told him their problems and he found solutions. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> 
yes, this is this commercial brought to you by LexCorp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he's they, he. There's this bit of background on how, he, on how he discovered Harry Kramer, who was just this guy who loved bombs, and it was from a bank job that went bad, but not because of the bomb. Yeah, <clears throat> and then yeah, the hidden hand behind the Clockwork Bomber would point back to Metropolis, and that was part of Lex's design. Um, yes, and that makes me wonder, like, like is is Lex trying to frame Calhoun, or is he just trying to like use Calhoun as a misdirection, but like isn't trying to like actually cause him to? It's, I guess because at least for what we know so far, like nothing bad happens to Calhoun. He sort of gets accused of stuff, um, but he doesn't get like put away for anything. So yeah, he goes to court and he's pissed that he went to court on something so shaky. Was his whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Lex has got a long history with Calhoun, so he's probably not just going to like burn that relationship for the sake of an alibi. I mean, yeah, maybe, but the stakes are high now. Well, right? He would, yeah, he yeah. would, but like it doesn't seem like that, that's not worth it. At this point. Yeah, not not at the drop of a hat. He would he would only do it probably if things you know really required it or something. But um, let's see. Oh yeah, then we get the line break, and it's kind of this montage: forty-eight bombs total. Superman found thirteen prior to detonation. Um, any hesitancy that he displayed in front of Lois was gone. And then they stopped after a couple of days because we knew that that was the total number of bombs. Yeah. Um, and then you look like shit, Clark, when they get back. To <laughs> and he's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. I kept worrying my apartment was going to explode and I, and I died choking. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's I, I, I just like how I, I, I don't know. I think I love everything that Clark does and says because he's just a perfect actor. I know. right? Yeah. I know it's sort of like more impressive, like, you know, that like he's having to like everything you do has to have like the added level of just that he's bullshitting at the same time. Exactly. And so Lois had like just a small blister on one hand and a light cough, which she just dismisses like, eh, no biggie. If I get sick, I'll go back to the doctor. But like, it's not so much ominous as it is just like her being a total badass. Like, I think if I was had a cough or mustard gas, I'd be kind of nervous. And she's just like, meh. I guess I go back to the doctor. It says that she snuck out of the doctor <laughs> so that she could get right back to work. It's just wasabi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> she's hardcore. Um, and then it's like, Oh yeah, they caught the bomber. And uh, she's like, Oh, come on. It, there's no way it was one man. It's like, Oh no, he yeah. came into money. He was smart and deranged. And this I'm curious about your interpretation of like, I don't know. If Superman is this dumb. Right. I, yeah. I wasn't sure either. Yeah. Cause so he sort of walks in saying like, Oh no, they caught him. And um, yeah, I guess, well, now that we're talking through it, I'm thinking maybe he is aware. But yeah, it looks like like he first wants to go in and say like, "Oh no, it was this you know Calhoun or this Kramer dude," and and they caught him and we're all good. And then Lois is like, uh, "No, don't be an idiot." Um, and I guess my first read through, I was thinking maybe he really did think that, and then like Lois talked him through it. But now it seems to me more like maybe more likely that he had wanted to like let that get shut down in her head. Like, okay, this is done. So then because there's too much shit going on here and I need to deal with it without worrying about, you know, mortals getting involved. Like he was trying that he was aware, but it was trying to, he was also trying to sell the lie because that would help him, you know, work it more easily without, you know, outside complications. Because now that I'm talking through that, guess that's where I'm leading, leaning towards on that. But yeah, I, I never know what level Superman's playing at. So either he was like, oh, no, they caught him. He came into money and he was a psychopath. Of course, that's, you know, case closed. And then Lois, sure. And if you buy that, I've got a bridge to sell you. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's too good at other levels of kind of understanding misdirection and just the subtleties of things going on that like I'm now kind of more disinclined to chalk something up to just, oh, he's being an idiot. So 
I, I feel that way too. And yet like, then it makes you wonder who is he playing dumb for? Like, yeah, I think my guess would be like he, it would have simplified things for him if he could have gotten Lois and just the world in general to buy off on the idea that it was just this like lone bomber dude that he, that he knew that wasn't the case, but it was only going to complicate things for him if the you know whole rest of the world and Lois uh, were you know sticking their nose in, and then that would just make it harder for him to work with. Like it was just going to simplify things if he could get the rest of the world to buy into the lie. Maybe I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can only play three dimensional chess, and he's playing eight. So no idea. Too many levels of meta. Too meta for me. Uh, so then she's like, "Oh yeah, you know." And I like this too because it sounds like she's going to say Lex Luthor. Um, you know, think about it, Clark. Someone intelligent, resourceful, wealthy, with <laughs> criminal connections, and a strong desire to see Superman dead. There's one guy head and shoulders above everyone else in that list. William Calhoun. Oh yes, I guess because yeah, nobody sees like as far as everybody's public understanding of Lex. Uh, he's you know Mr. Upstanding uh, billionaire benefactor. Right, and you know he's paying Superman's legal fees. He's Bruce Wayne. He's he's what? He's Bruce Wayne, as far as exactly the yeah. general public understands him. But like he, I just, you know, he he writes op eds, you know, arguing positions in the newspaper that he thinks Superman would like. He he pays his court fees, like you know. So of course it's not him. It's got to be this other rich crime boss, William Calhoun. Yeah, he hates you, right? Yeah, and uh, I guess like the way it's like positioned to us, like maybe like Calhoun is like maybe one of the few people that are even aware that. Uh, that Luthor is not Bruce Wayne. Um, and that because he works so much through just like intermediaries that there's very few people that have any understanding of like what he's up to. That part keeps coming up a little bit where I'm like, ah, you know, that's a little sort of like hand wavy about the levels to which you're working through quote, you know, indirect intermediaries. Like, it seems like he would, it would be a little harder for him to cover his tracks than he's kind of letting on. But, um, well, I think that like for the most part, Lex has gone fully straight since Superman showed up. So, you know, if he was covering his tracks before, like, I don't know how hard but I it guess, is. Like, what I was wondering, though, is like, like, so we got like, you know, 48 bombs got planted all across the city. And that clearly wasn't that one guy, the Kramer dude. He made the bombs, but he couldn't have planted 48 bombs. And then, and even Lois points out, like, even if he could, like knowing where to plant the bombs, like a whole bunch of other people had to be in, involved in that. And that is a little sort of hand wavy is that, you know, it's just done through intermediaries. But like, who are these people? Are they people that he got through? Calhoun. So then maybe Calhoun's got like more visibility on what's going on than, than we're being told. And so I probably don't know. Maybe he just pays people to pay people to hire people who work for Calhoun. I know. I mean, yeah, yeah, probably. So yeah, that, like, I guess mostly I'm just kind of chalking that up. It's like, okay, don't worry about it too much. I'm, I'm, I'm filing that under a suspension of disbelief. And like, we like, get, a, we get enough, hard enough on other things that I'm willing to cut him some slack. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's, that's my approach too. like, we get enough explanation of so many other things that it's like, if, if, if I'm told he used intermediaries, well, like we saw him send signals like via Morse code to California and back. Right. Like, all right, I'll just, I'll take your word for it. He's uh, he's being careful. Enough said. Um, he's shown his work enough to where I believe that his work <laughs> is being done here. Um, then we get a, a line break to William Calhoun, who, uh, so he's he's looking over the books in his lead-lined office and trying to get a way to get people to pay their bookies when there's a commo- when there's a commotion downstairs and then like I love this visual so he goes downstairs and there's just Superman standing in the middle of this nightclub and you know dressed all wrong yeah chest chest <laughs> puffed out you know like just 
you know, flapping in the non-existent wind. It's kind of just like, I don't know, man, it's hard for me to imagine what this is like. It's, you know, it's like, it's like Dr. Manhattan just shows up and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He's in my bar now. Uh, Uh let let me, let me try and play it cool here. Um, and he's just like, Hey William. And it's like, (laughs) and man, Willie's got colossal, you know, man of steel balls. Right. (laughs) He's just like, you're trespassing. This establishment's open to the public. Well, you're blacklisted then. I'll put up a sign that says no Superman. <laughs> this is a Drake did this voice. Huh? It was the same guy that did yeah. Dumbledore. Yeah, he, did, he did good. He had a good accent too. He fucking killed it. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, he was like, oh, I'll be leaving soon. Just want to let you know I've been watching you. And I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll be watching you. Come on, you see. There's nothing I won't do to bring you to justice. And then, God, this is the thing. I mean, so... Oh, really? Willie says as he strides towards Superman with the confidence that he almost felt. Anything? <laughs> then I've got a deal for you. Tear off one of my arms. Then I'd, I'd be in so much pain, I'll give you full confession. Go on. Do it. Do it. He's like, I'm not a monster. Oh, you're a monster, all right. You just don't want people thinking that you are. You don't want to get your hands dirty. And <laughs> I've heard from you're a monster, guys, also you're kind of a pussy. Exactly. And now, now that I'm sitting here looking at you, I can see it's absolutely true. And then what does he do? He spits on his face. Oh yeah. Oh man. And He's like Superman just, proof. Superman's not icky proof. He might be germ proof, I'm not sure, but I would be absolutely like gross proof. Out. Yeah. Exactly. But that like and that's the thing too. What what a power play by Superman to just stand there and let it hit him in the face. Uh, you know, like like uh Willie says, he could have ran across the, the bar and grabbed a mug to catch it in. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he like that's a conscious conscious decision to oh, yeah. decide to let it hit him. Sure, I thought about that. Eventually, someone's going to find a way to kill you, and I'll be first in line to piss on your grave. <laughs> Jeez. Then, of course, Superman, Boy Scout, Clark is like, when you're convicted to life in prison, I hope they're able to rehabilitate you. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you. I'll pray for you. <laughs> Bless your heart. So, 48 <laughs> bombs and no cough or sneeze from Superman. And this is where he's going to stare at his board and do vector math for, I guess, the whole day. The whole day, yes. Yeah, I guess the, the punchline to that, I mean, besides, so yeah, that was what for me like stuck out. as like, oh, you know, this is hard in an age worth pencils and paper. Um, But that like at the end of that, besides, so he is able to like, with all of his vector math, is able to, you know, circle some part of Metropolis where he's like, okay, he probably lives near here or whatever lives is mostly coming from around here. Uh, but then he's like, wait a minute. And that, this is the part that was sticking out to me before. I was like, um, so he realizes like, oh, wait, he's, um, you know, never around between the hours of eight and five and on weekends. Um, and then finally, like, we don't get it, but he like, we're able to kind of put together as the chapter ending that like, oh, it finally clicks for Lex that like, oh, Superman has a day job. Um, and that's, what's been going through my head this whole time is because like, and with like, and the story of Superman is like the, you know, the prime example of the oh dude with an alter ego, you know, a secret identity. Like this is the origin story of the origin story. Um, and so it's like, I'm really uncertain in my head, like how, like how obvious should it have been? Like if you're in a world in which this has never happened and you're, you know, you're in a world in which comic books have not existed to have this be like the most generic thing about all superheroes, like how obvious should it have been if he, if he had already recognized that, Oh, he seems to not be very busy during business hours. Um, should it have been immediately obvious that Superman has a day job or should it have taken this long? And so I'm like, I'm really not sure. 
I'm not sure. When did you realize that he wasn't that busy during business hours? I mean, was it we've just had a couple? No, we've had a couple other times where we're not just that it's like notice, but like we get to see maybe not a couple, at least one at the time um, where like we can see Lex thinking the thought, Oh, he's not busy during business hours, um, but not jumping to any conclusions based on that. And that's where I'm really not like, not sure like how obvious should that be? If you're, if your brain is not already primed with comic books. Yeah. It's hard for me to put myself in a state of mind where I didn't already have the idea of secret identities in my head. I think that the way it's played here is at least really convincing. And I'm just willing to run with it. Like, I I don't think that if I lived in a world with Superman a hundred years ago, like, would I have been like, I wonder if he goes to work during the day? Like, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that would have been on my first hundred thoughts about Superman. Yeah. The other so. flip side to that, though, is you also don't have like, you know, it's also not one of the things that you would think like, oh, and he just must like fly off to the Fortress of Solitude and, you know, lock himself in a closet for eight hours. <laughs> like, that's also not one of the thoughts you would have, too. So maybe, maybe your default position is, well, where does this guy sleep at night and what does he do? So I really don't like have a you know good sense of... It's, it's too hard to extrapolate a world in which our brains don't have a concept of superheroes. Yeah. So like I can't, what, I can't. Would a, what would a person without that think? Yeah. I can't deep prime myself from that. What I love about this too is like mercy gets it immediately, but like, she's just like, because she's not trying, like she's not beating her head against the problem. She's just like, she takes the information. And so this is how it goes down. He's like, mercy, darling, my brain is failing me. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. She's reading a book and doesn't bother looking up. He's like, I'm staring at this too closely. Eight o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night. I can feel something refusing to spring to mind there, but I, it's not. that's not quite clicking. She's like, well, it's standard working hours for most of downtown. And he just looks back at the map and stares at it. He's like, nah, I'm missing something. There's some piece of the puzzle. And she had just handed it to him. <laughs> then he's like, oh, wait a second. I just heard what you said. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. All right. Chapter six. Superman has a day job. Yes. Yeah, so it, it like sort of comes in the way like a like a television episode would come back in where there's like overlap between the way the last one ended and the way this one started. So we're like back in like Lex's head about like, Oh shit, he's got a day job next week on Superman. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he talks about that for a little bit. Um, and so it's sort of like, as he's riffing on the idea of, um, like, okay, yeah, that finally occurred to him. And like, he's basically sort of thinking about the concept of Eureka moments. Um, and then, yeah, you'd, you'd mentioned the thing it, uh, him thinking about how he had decided after World War One he would try to build basically Iron Man. Um, he described more like War Machine, like mounted mounted guns and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, but it was supposed to be like a like a like a mech suit, basically. That was what he was trying to make, right? And That's then he what realized, War has. Oh, okay, see, so, yeah, Adam, what's War Machine? Where's that from? War Machine is Don Cheadle. Oh, okay. No, but yeah. so that's just... That's all it's an Iron Man suit with big guns on it. Praise Marvel. Praise Marvel to you as well, my child. Rather than big guns. Oh, it's, it's like the buff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, that one. So, um, yeah. He, but, but what's also fun about that little flashback moment where he's realizing that is it's a lot like um, when Draco has the idea to make those uh, Coloportis locks during the battle. And Quirrell points out that like, yeah, this is... Draco is capable of having original ideas but he's not great at that art yet to like toss out ideas that are awesome but not practical and this is one of those bad ideas and so this this is the same lesson that that lex sat here and realized he he describes where he spent like i don't know it says some oh he spent days trying to make what he had called a battle suit uh, practical reality and then at, at the end like he's like oh at the end 
he realized that he looked down and all he'd done was design a better tank. <laughs> yeah, I like that though. It's sort of like, it's kind of like that humility of your brilliance that like, you know, if you start tossing out, you know, simple solution like, oh, if only we did blah, 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 it would be so much better. And I don't understand why we don't do this obviously better thing that I just thought of um, from behind my keyboard that like, oh, that better, you know, final product that you land at ends up being very similar to what is already there and not there's like not room for improvement because that's what he says like oh i just made a better tank like yeah you did make a better tank but tank was already fairly close to the best thing available right now anyway um so just like that idea that like oh you know we'll just completely throw everything out and think of this better thing you end up running into all of the same problems that everybody that ended up inventing the tank had to solve yeah but now he owns two factories that makes tanks so Yeah. And he made a better tank. He has a better tank. Exactly. Yeah. Tank 2.0. This is, the, this, this is the shout out where we get kind of background to how awesome Mercy is. What Lex needed was somebody who could, he could ask pointed questions and act as a foil to his enthusiasm, a devil's advocate. He made a quick calculation of the risks of speaking out loud. And I like this a lot too. Um, he found the risk of speaking out loud acceptable. If he was right, Superman engaged in surveillance far less than he had supposed. And if he was wrong, there was no harm in it. Um, so he's thinking like, all right, look, if I'm right that Superman goes to work every day, He's probably not listening to the whole world all the time because he's busy doing his job for God yeah. knows why. And if I'm wrong, well, then what do I care if the alien thinks that I think he might be a person? So he, <laughs> but still, he encrypts his message in French. So <laughs> that's right. Because we do at least know that he's American. That's right. And as such, <laughs> we'll never learn another language. language. But I love this too. So, so Mercy, he says, you know, could I have your attention for a moment? Convince me that Superman doesn't have a secret identity. And immediately she's just like, a secret identity? Like she had never heard of it before. Mm. And he, she's like forcing him to like think through everything in this. It's awesome. This is uh, I like how he, like how he had to put it in terms of things that people would know in a world without superheroes. Uh, what did he say? Like either a, a secret agent or a philanderer, right? Like what are at least like when somebody's what are the already known places where a secret identity applies? Um, there's this just much like more shrunk down world in which that's like actually a useful concept. Yeah, it's awesome. But she's like, she's able to kind of just immediately play, like, I think the most useful, like the, when I have an idea, this is the kind of stuff I like, these are the conversations I like to have. And I haven't, to the best of my memory, asked somebody, hey, can you like devil's advocate this for me? But usually if I just pitch the idea, they do it anyway, because I've got smart, critical friends. But um, like the the ability just to say, all right, well, have you thought about, you know, like explain what you mean here, define this, exp- you know, uh, walk me through that. It kind of like, She's basically doing like Socrates 2.0 at him, right? I just love it. Um, just, she's just, she's doing her best to poke holes in everything and make him define all his terms. It's fantastic. Yeah, especially once he gets to the, uh, are we, I can't remember if we're now at that point in this conversation. I think we are. <clears throat> yeah, because then they butt up against the like, okay, if he's got a secret identity, then he basically, you know, Superman isn't in any disguise. So if he has a secret identity, he's some dude walking around looking like Superman. Um, and she's just not having it. <laughs> she's like, it, you know, everybody would notice. And so for her, she, and for her, that means that like, okay, the idea of a secret identity is not plausible because he's not in any kind of disguise and everybody would recognize him. And as Lex kind of starts to go through with his kind of wishful thinking around like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't occur to people and there's not, you know, very many photographs and, oh, if you, you know, slouch, um, so he's like, so, and she's basically calling it wishful thinking. She's like, it sounds like you just sort of are trying to justify the idea that you're already wanting to arrive at. Um, and so, and I think at least where he lands is that 
<clears throat> I think he like he sort of accepts her point on that, but still thinks that there's enough of a chance that the secret identity thing is true that he doesn't want to just dismiss it. And so he's going to look into it. Um, but yeah, I did at least, cause we've been paying so much attention to, um, cause if you, if we wanted to sort of hand wave about like, okay, nobody notices that Clark Kent looks exactly like Superman. We would just hand wave a little bit and then stop talking about it. But we've been talking about it so much. And not, so this, in this here, this conversation with mercy, we're talking about it quite explicitly, but it's been brought up a few times already. So I think especially for, you know, a story like this, that's not letting us hand wave shit, um, that this has been brought up enough that it's like, okay, we're not going to like, just let this slide. Well, um, this is the first time it's been brought up in the story. Uh, brought up, like brought up between char- characters, like talking about it to each other, but I can't remember now, but we've had a couple points where it's just sort of pointed, not pointed out so much in the narrative, but like the way things are described, like we as readers are not allowed to ignore that Clark looks just like Superman. Um, especially like that one scene, like like the first scene when Lois like goes up to the roof with Clark, at least for me and reading that, it seemed like it wasn't just that like the nature of what that was, like we weren't being allowed to ignore the fact that Clark and Superman look the same as Lois goes up there. And we still don't have a great explanation for that. And I'm hoping we don't hand wave that part. Like we need a decent explanation for why it has not occurred to Lois that Clark looks exactly like Superman. Where at least at the end of this chapter, we get to the like, okay, yes, it, it is a person can take a picture of Clark Kent and notice that he's Superman. Um, but like we, if, if we were going to like try to hand wave past Lois doesn't know what Clark doesn't notice that Clark and uh, Superman look exactly the same, then we needed to not be talking about it this much. Um, so I, I'm wanting some better explanation for why other than like, oh, he slouches we'll see where, where we get with that. I like the, the whole exchange here. Um, like there's the, the part where, um, so he, he's trying to lay out like, okay, well look, let's think about it. Like, um, you know, when people look at Superman, what are they really seeing? They see the emblem on his chest, the bright colors of his costume and the brilliant smile and the curl of his hair that hangs just so she said, and he asks her, if you saw Superman wearing a suit and tie walking down the street, would you recognize him in that new context? And she says, most likely, and then he's trying to push back a bit. He's like, well, photographs are rare. And like the one that exists of him posing is the one with Miss Lane on the roof. And like, even then those pictures emphasize the muscles, the physique. They don't, they don't really focus on the face. That's not what people see when they look at Superman. They see this, this God person. And so then he's like, and he's like, all right, so maybe putting him in a suit and tie wouldn't be enough. And then I just imagine him stroking it. Oh, he does say scratch his chin, which is perfect. But if you added a hat, an overcoat to hide his super bulk, a change of mannerisms, a slouch, makeup, prosthetics, wigs, a false mustache or beard, glasses. Like he's just going. See, all those, like, and that sort of works if we're ju- if all you're trying to to justify is why does you know random person in Metropolis not notice that they look the same? That does sort of work, but we as readers know that like the one person that has interacted with Superman the most is also the person that works with Clark Kent every single day. So it's like the least plausible city. Like that's the worst case scenario for how hard is it for Clark to not look like Superman? Um, yeah. And that's where it's like, we have to like, I, we need some kind of explicit explanation for why that works because, Oh, it just didn't occur to somebody like in the original stories. We it's like intentionally hand waved. Like it's so it's done so badly that we're just told you need to accept this one and not worry about it. And that actually totally works as like a storytelling thing. You're like, you know what? Sure. He can, um, you know, bullets don't hit him. And also Lois doesn't 
under, you know, doesn't notice that he looks just like Superman. And then you just kind of run with it. But like in this one, when we're purposely, you know, straining at all these tiny little things to, to look at, um, we're going to need something, especially because like, um, because like Lois and Mercy are very sort of like equals in terms of like their non gullibility. Um, so like, well, Lois this is, is so smart. we're not going to take just hand waves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Lois is so like canny about so many other things that I do. I'm trying to find the part of the text. I'm going to just read a couple more quotes while I find it. Uh, he says that, uh, Charlie Chaplin once lost a lookalike context, or at least that's what he told me. Um, and I, I think I, and I, sh- I meant to Google that before we started and I totally forgot. I feel like this is a thing that happened. I think he came in third at a, at a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. Um, but that said, he probably wasn't judged by his friends and family. He's probably judged by fans of his movies. And so this, this makes sense why like the average person wouldn't think that, you know, they could bump into Clark Kent at the deli. Right. Um, but it's, it's not like, you know, the, the, the lowest question, I, I feel you're, I'm sympathetic towards your, uh, your bafflement, but then it I reminds like, me of uh, have you, you've probably seen it. It was like some interview with uh, uh, Rowan Atkinson on like the Graham Norton show, where he's like he's retelling a story of how like a fan was like, you know what, you look at awful, you look just like that Mister Bean guy, <laughs> and then he gets into like an argument with that with that fan for you know, like you're like, well, no, I am. He's like, oh yeah, no, you're not, but oh, you totally look just like him. I see like, once in a while like. That's, like that's a, I see a picture of a tweet from uh, Tony Hawk and people are like, you know, everyone, uh, everyone ever tell you look like Tony Hawk. And it's like, yeah, they do. <laughs> I hear that a lot. It's uncanny. Uh, so then uh, he's like, all right, cool. Can we at least agree that Superman might stand to gain something from having an alter ego and that he might be able to pull off a long running disguise. And then Mercy being just the best devil's advocate. She's like, okay, I can accept that maybe he could walk into a deli and buy a sandwich without arousing suspicion, but you're suggesting a sustained, a, a sustained deception. And he says, yeah, look, it lines up too nicely with work hours. Um, and uh, then I like this too. She's like, they would still know. They w- if they ever saw Superman in the flesh, they would see his alter ego for what it is. And this is Lex trying to explain that away too. And I like about this, and Mercy calls him out on it. That's why I'm drawing so much attention to it. Because this is this is just great rational fiction. It's engaging, it's exciting, and it's teaching you stuff. Um, but then she says, look, if they ever bumped into Superman, or if they... If they work, you know, if they were near Superman a lot, they would see it. Like, you know, fine, he could walk into a Seven Eleven and and buy a slushy, but that's different. Um, she, he says, no, maybe not. No one's looking around for Superman in disguise because the concept is nearly unthinkable to them. No one believes that they would work a day job if they had his powers. Um, and then he's like, per- perhaps it occurs to them that it, that his coworker looks like Superman, and but they wouldn't immediately make the leap to thinking he actually was Superman. Maybe they'd make jokes, but he'd deflect them or play along. Uh, maybe even as a few people in his confidence, but <laughs> yeah, and this like, and this totally works in that like this abstract concept that he's playing through of like if he's thinking you know Superman's a plumber and that the other plumbers you know at the shop don't <laughs> notice that he are like oh yeah I guess he looks a little like Superman, but Lex isn't running the scenario through his head that it's Lois Lane that works with Clark Kent like Lois Lane the per- the person who's you know the single most familiar person with the actual Superman. Like he's not considering that scenario. And I got to think like if, if he thought about that, he'd be like, oh shit. Yeah. It's yeah. I like that. And then where Mercy says, you've made up your mind. It wasn't a question. It wasn't said with any trace of disapproval. She was simply informing him of what she had observed. And as usual, she was right. And like, I mean, you're right. So he's not thinking of Lois Lane because, you know, he hasn't thought of that yet. Um, then why would he? He, wouldn't, yeah. he has no reason to get to that connection yet, but we'll see where that comes in the next couple of chapters. But um like all I can think of is I think if I work next to Superman 
and you know sh- shared a, a shared office space with him. And then, you know, I bump it, even if I had a 10 minute conversation with Superman after two months of working next to him, I think there's still a really good chance I wouldn't recognize him because no I- No way, dude. Like, on, just I, absolutely I, I, not. You, no you were way. one of these stories. So back back in the old times, in the in the long, long ago, when people went to work, mm. uh, I was on the train home one day. <laughs> yes. and I look up and I'm like, I think that's Brian. But I'm not sure enough to go talk to this stranger. So what do I do? I go, go to my phone. I pull up your LinkedIn page, looking at the picture, looking at you. I'm like, mm, I'm not sure still. So what do I do? I text you. And I was like, hey, are you on the H train right now? And then you look up and it was you. So if it was me, I suck at faces. I don't think Lois sucks at faces because it'd be bad for her job. But I think it would be possible. Like, but see, So like two things, like you and I have never worked together like in the same office every day. And that was like, we all actually only knew each other like a couple months, I think at that point. Um, and you already were like, Oh, I think that's Brian. Like you weren't like, ah, oh, like you did like, like fast forward. If you and I like worked together in the same office every day for even only, let's say that it only been two months, but we worked together in the same office every single day. It wouldn't, your brain wouldn't even registered as, Oh, I wonder if that's Brian. You'd be like, Oh, that's Brian. And I could have been like dressed up as like captain Jack, like in full like makeup and pirate shit. And you'd still be like, Oh, what the fuck is Brian doing dressed up like captain Jack? Like mm. you, it wouldn't be like, Oh, I wonder if your brain would just like immediately register it. Like you would I, just know. I appreciate you give me the credit of, of being less bad at faces than I think I am. But I mean, I, I had, I had cases in, in school where people would come up to me and they would talk with me and I'd be like, okay, uh, I'll roll this conversation to avoid awkwardness. And then I'll see them two days later in class. And apparently I'd been sitting next to them for three months. So like, I, I am that well, bad. Yeah, it's like somebody like sitting next to you, but like somebody you interact with every single day. I mean, I interact with them enough for them to talk with me, but I, I see what you're saying. Like, it's it's hard to describe, especially because like what's the what's the word the phrase I've learned work wives like the person that you're like with every single day for like eight hours a day, like because that becomes like such a like serious level of familiarity like your brain it's not it's not even going to be like oh I wonder like you're immediately going to know it's possible I I think especially that like and 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 we're not talking about like Clark's not dressed up like Captain Jack he's just in a suit like there's not the difference between Superman and Clark Kent is you know clothing. Well, and the entire everything else, the mannerisms, the posture, the, the powers, right? So like, you know, if, if, uh, if I was Lois and like, I don't know, a water cooler or something, something heavy was falling off a shelf, a typewriter, they're like 40 pounds, right? And I watched, I watched him lean over and catch it with one arm. And I'd be like, hold on, that was incredible. Holy shit. Like I could see that being a moment, but she's looking over at the dipshit with thick glasses who types with two fingers. Yeah. I mean, so I could buy that like in the ad, like random human, like that you don't interact with too much or that you only like, you know, if my coworker were Keanu Reeves and I never interact with Keanu Reeves, then, okay. I could like, Oh shit. You know what? That guy I work with is looks just like Keanu Reeves. And then like, it doesn't occur to me. But if you are the, like, if you're Keanu Reeves's agent and he's also like, you know, in his secret identity working next to you in the office, you're going to pick up on that. I guess maybe a bit like if the, if we did the new movie version of this and we had Clark Kent played by Gary Oldman, who can be fucking anybody he wants to be, then maybe I'm buying into it. But other than that. And it's, it's entirely possible. There's some mind fuckery going on too, but that's I, what I'm, I'm hoping we get it. 
I, I'm just I'm just defending that if it was me, I think I would totally miss it because I'm also not imagining that I'm looking for Superman. I might point out, be like, hey, you know, anyone ever tell you you kind of look like Superman? And he'd be like, oh, please, you know. So I, like, guess, I mean, so yeah, I guess like the the where I depart is like the level of familiarity that comes from working with somebody every day, all day. That's going to become like like in our brain, we only store several dozen faces. And we sort of like flip them around. That's going to be like the person that you work with in your office every single day becomes one of like the primary faces. Your brain becomes very, very good at recognizing. Um, Maybe for you. I mean, I, I have missed, I have, I have worked with people in the office and then not recognize them when I see them downtown in other contexts, like even contexts I've seen them in before, like at a restaurant. Um, so see, like you and I, you and I hadn't, hadn't spent a lot of face to face time on the train. You're like, Oh wait, I think that's Brian. I told you the one story you are a part of. I've done this with coworkers before where it's like, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, Hey Steven. I'm like, who the fuck is, Oh, Oh, that's Zach. Like that, that happens to me. But you got far enough to think like, Oh, I think that's probably Brian. Right. And you were right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. And we've like, le- I think at that point we'd literally spent like less, you know, a single digit number of face to face hours with each other. So valid. All right. We'll move on to where mercy asks him. All right. If you find him, will you expose him? And he's like, oh, God, no. Are you kidding? Like, I'm not going to go piss this guy off. Yeah. I just, all I want is because it would give me some information that is hitherto unknown about Superman. Insert quote from Endgame where, did you seriously just say hitherto undreamt of? <laughs> so, um, yeah, like he, he's now at this point just wants to figure it out. So then we get a line break to, su- to Superman, to Clark. Um, and he's like, the judge is dropping the case. I can't believe they, you know, the legal system isn't putting this bad guy in jail, man. Um, which- that sort of like tie into is like where he's, you know, I'm so disappointed in humanity that you guys don't understand why somebody would just do something good for the sake of doing something good. Like yeah. this sort of like ties back into that, like white bread, like this part, I do believe like he's just kind of fundamentally disappointed with humanity. Well, the other fun thing about it too is it's like Calhoun is guilty. I know he is. It's like, yeah, of course you know he is. Even yeah, watching change, you've been watching him get dressed and you can see you what know, color like, underwear he's wearing. Exactly. Like you, you're watching him right now. You know everything he's up to. But the other fun thing too that I love about this actually, now that I spell it out, is like Calhoun actually isn't guilty of the bombs. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, I know he did it. And it's like, actually, no, you don't. In fact, you know he didn't. You know, you know he's a criminal. Yeah. But like, and you think he's behind the bombs. But he did, the fact that you, you know, you, so you know that he's up to no good, which puts him at the top of your list for being the bomb guy, but you didn't observe him doing anything with the bombs because he didn't fucking do it. <laughs> Although we don't know. I mean, it sounds like, though, he probably would have been needed to be involved in just like the logistics of getting all those things set up. Now, we, we get Except, a, a you know, intermediary somewhere and those had to come from somebody. Yeah, so maybe maybe it was Willie's underlings or something like I said that that Lex hired. But when when it cuts to uh, Lex Lex Luther or excuse me to, to Willie later, he when he's when they when the charges are dropped, he was just pissed instead of relieved because he is like he had been he had been accused of being oh, a yeah. bomber on charges so paper thin it would have been laughable. And so he's like, that's the thing is like you know it, even if it was just a coincidence, it pissed Willie off that they got called out on something that he had no part in, yeah. especially considering all the things he was actually guilty of. Um, before that, I wanted to pull out this line that just reads as super ominous. Uh, so it's, you know, L- Clark is still, you know, pissed that, uh, Willie didn't get, uh, in trouble for the bombs and Lois like, Oh, you know what? I should hook up with my friend Vicky. She works at the Gotham Gazette. <laughs> and then he's like, Oh man, maybe, or she's thinking, man, maybe he, he's taking that as like a pity, you know, hookup, even though I was being serious. And, um, 
then she's like, I didn't mean it like that. He's like, mean it like what? Derp. And uh, she's like, oh, nothing. I was just thinking that, you know, maybe she would like you. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I like this. Oh, you know what? She wasn't in charge of Clark Kent. If Clark got his feelings hurt because something she, he misinterpreted something that, excuse me, let me say that in human spe- readable or human level of talking because I'm going too fast. She wasn't in charge of Clark Kent. And if Clark got his feelings hurt because he misinterpreted something she said, well, it wasn't the end of the world. <laughs> I'm not saying that's how the story ends because that'd be cheap for me to call <laughs> into it that way. But it's a plausible ending for the story where she hurts his feelings accidentally and he goes on a rampage. So it's just really funny. Oh, it's thing to the sun. All right. Exactly. Um, but then, yeah, then we get the cut to Willie. I just like that line. It's like, well, it's not the end of the world if I upset Clark Kent. And it's like, uh, you sure about that? <laughs> Um, let's see here. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Willie's pissed that he was like, that there was some implication that he, and people might've been trying to frame him for this, but it wasn't even good enough to be called a frame job. It was just kind of pointing roughly in Willie's direction. But the fact that he got pulled into court over it pissed him off. And so he's like, all right, well, I've been trying to do the slander and libel thing and that's not working. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's like paid women to accuse Superman of raping them and like, and yeah. none of it's working. Willie's a, a nasty guy. Um, and then, uh, like some of the, the less spurious ones of like, well, no, Superman, he, he gave me this bruise. See, uh, he, he manhandled me when he was arresting me for robbing that bank. Um, like those ones are, are more plausible ones, but even those didn't hold up. So, um, he's trying to think of any way to turn the tide against Superman. And then, uh, so, I mean, all, all we get here is like Willie stewing about this, right? Yeah. Um, and all right, so get, he's becoming the, like the scapegoat. Yeah, Exactly. And then we get this nice line break to uh, like total scene change, big manor, big open yard, you know, mansion, whatever. It's the the mayor's house um, or wait, governor of New York. No, it's the governor. Yeah, it's the governor. Yeah. Excuse me. I realize I, I don't know how it like screwed up, but like I got to the somehow I got to the through this scene of, of Lex talking with the governor and I and I like stopped and I thought that was like the end of the chapter. And then we had this whole, we got the whole reveal at the end of this is like what the purpose of this conversation was and the, and the payoff of him uh, discovering Clark's identity. Oh uh, yeah. That, that I didn't pick up. It wasn't until I was going through on my reread. I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't get to this part. So, oh, this, so I, I was going through this whole thing with like, Oh, like, like Lex still, you know, Oh, we don't know that like Clark looks just like, you know, Superman. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't I hadn't gotten to the payoff at the end of this chapter that yes, Clark looks just like Superman. Yeah, the audiobook doesn't divide neatly on every chapter, although I think it does on this one if you just I think it did. Uh, yeah, I think I just like literally stopped and thought I was done. But <laughs> anyway, so uh it's it's from uh the governor's perspective and he's just thinking, you know what? Re-election's gonna be a boon because uh people people see Superman and like it's not about whether or not I'm actually doing my job right, it's whether or not people are happy and people are happy because Superman's here. So Superman makes you want to vote for the incumbent. And look at this, the, you know, this local billionaire wants to come to my house. So yeah, by all means, man, come, come talk to me. You have my full attention. And he's, he's got this whole thing. He's like, I want to do some art projects because now I'm a friend. <laughs> and, uh, he's just, so I think you put in the notes, like, you're not sure what, oh, maybe the ulterior motive of the other. Oh, yeah, no, that was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. As he's like having, like, when I stopped at just the like end of this conversation with the governor, you're like, so this stuff, cause he's saying like, oh, okay, I want to be like sponsor the arts. And he like, names like three specific things like oh i want a statue of this and uh you know and then i think he's vague about like the second one like so he names these like three specific things he wants to sponsor and so like as you're reading this you're like okay there's very clearly some kind of ulterior motive to all of this but none of it like made any sense at all Uh, but it was like 
so the whole conversation with the governor and like the specificity that like Lex brings to it all, especially like, Oh, I want to sponsor the arts. And you're talking to the governor, like getting into the, like, Oh, and let me tell you governor, the specific things I want my sponsoring to do was like weird enough. You're like, okay, there's definitely something going on here. Um, and so like, once we, you know, see the, the end of this, you're able to like figure it out. But I kept thinking like, you know, okay, what is he, where is he trying to go with this? And I think at the end of this, as we see, so he's got like, he wants a statue and then he wants some other damn thing. I don't know. Like a mural. Yeah. Mural or something. Yeah. And then the third one he wants is, oh, I want a photography exhibit of the people of Metropolis. And that, so it sounds like, like the first two are just a pretense in order to get the third one. And that's the only thing he actually wants. Um, but I think it's like how you had said, it's sort of like a good example of like how many resources Lex is willing to throw at just sort of like laying the groundwork for some other thing. Yeah. The other two projects, which probably are comparable in price to the third one. I just throw away. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, nope, that's just misdirection. It's just so it looks like, like I'm in the arts. If I did, if I did merely one art project, no, that, that would look suspicious. Two, no, no, better make it three. Yeah. Three art projects. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So he basically gets this art project that is the excuse to have lots and lots of people photographing every single person in Metropolis. Um, and so the, yeah, that's not at all obvious during that conversation with the governor. But then as this plays out, we realize like, oh, now he's got photographers all over Metropolis taking pictures of just literally everybody. Uh, and that the payoff for that is that um, if he's just going to canvas the whole goddamn city, um, Superman can't be seen to be avoiding being photographed and that he'll eventually like photograph him. And that's what he's like able to like get at eventually is he's got mercy, like helping dig through the whole pile of, of photographs. And he's saying like, okay, it's going to be some, you know, white, tall male dude with dark hair, blah, blah, blah. So like, once you're like digging through, like, you know, toss out the obvious non-matches, right. uh, we should hopefully be able to find him, and it works. Um, yeah, it was like less obvious to Mercy. Mercy wasn't like thoroughly convinced, like, oh, this must be something here. But like, she shows it to him. He's like, nope, that's him. And yeah, and we're, and we're, we're it's standing with Lois. That reveal is badass. But yeah, yeah, that, that's where it ends up. But I want to get to the the couple beats in between. Uh, so there's the uh, like, it just it ends up with Whitman just kind of like nodding, not really listening. He's like, yeah, I like Lex Luthor. He's great. And I, I whatever reason, this line about Lex, like this. Again, like he's so likable and he plays different people to diff- he plays different selves to different people. Um, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I thought about having kids because the governor has two kids, you know, but I, I've been thinking about Metropolis as my child. I want nothing more than help her grow and protect her from harm and make her the best city, the best city she can possibly be. And it's like, all right, man, like I, I, I love it because he's playing it a little thick. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's perfect. And then we get a cut to uh, back to the, the, the Daily Planet and Clark is all stoked because, hey, Calhoun just got arrested again. Racketeering, murder, conspiracy to commit murder, loan sharking, illegal gambling, obstruction of justice, bribery, tax evasion, uh, loitering, misdemeanors. You know, uh, trying to, did you ever see Hunt for the Wilder People? Hunt, uh, no. Oh, it's delightful. It's um, Taika Waititi. Uh, it's the kid from Deadpool 2. It's, it's a long story, but the it's all in Taika style humor too. But every time they list off this kid's list of crimes, it's like loitering, um, you know, petty vandalism, like random things, but they list them all every time that they bring up his, his like little criminal background. And uh, <laughs> that's basically what this sounds like to me. Um, except these are all real crimes. Anyway, she's, he's like, Oh yeah, the whole list of crimes will stick. I'm so excited. He's all confident. She's like, you're too close to the story, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's on. right. Cause he's all like all stoked about it. Yeah. yeah. And she just tells him like, look, you know, this will take a long time. It's back. It's back page news. Who cares? Like, 
just wait for justice to take its course. And he's like, yeah, all right. And he just looks, he looks pleased as he pecks away at his typewriter. And then, yeah, then it's the dozens of uh, photographers downtown and he's focusing on downtown, I guess, because I'm not sure if people live, live in New York. I guess I read that as like, he's focusing on like, so he's found that little like four block area that he thinks Superman comes and goes to that. He's had the photographers focusing at that spot. Yeah. But in a non-obvious way. He lived on Manhattan in at the t- you know in the nineteen thirties, but still probably an insurmountable number of people. But he's like, I can get everyone going in and out of work if I set people up for two weeks taking pictures of everybody, totally. And so then I'm not sure when all this was set up. I know that he visited the mayor well before the election, and this is you know late November, so it's been some several weeks since the plan. And then they're sitting in his cabin well out of well outside the city, going over all these pictures. And I I know you already mentioned the moment, but I love this so much. It's awesome. So she uh, they're going over them. Like you said, he listed out kind of the criteria of what they're doing. And then it was in the second day of this that Mercy found a picture of Lois Lane. When she slid it across for him to look at, Lex saw Superman standing next to her. Oh, was that so she only showed it to him because she recognized it as being Lois and she wasn't considering Clark as being relevant to why she would show it to him. Well, he says, it's him. And she says, are you sure? I would have put it in the pile for a later review, but I'm less immediately convinced than you are. And so I think I think she had showed him like, hey, this is a maybe, but also, hey, look, Lois. But then he's like, it's Superman, and she's like, you sure? And he's like, he's the perfect mockery of humanity. Yeah, and like yeah, he likes him because he's like, so he's trying to be obviously not Superman. Exactly. Superman always holds his head high with his jaw thrust out. This man spends most of his time looking down with his chin tucked in. It disrupts the lines of his face and makes him less noticeable. But you can tell from the nose that it's him. It's Superman. And uh, where was it that he had said? Uh, oh yeah. Um, almost immediately pegged the man as an oaf. He was so unlike Superman that it had to be him. <laughs> Gotta love that reasoning. Yeah. Um, but it, but he's right, so it's awesome. Um, and I the- like that it was at least like I like that because uh, we had just walked through with Mercy, like where Mercy's basically just telling him, like, no, you're full of shit. He's obviously going to be recognizable. And we at least get to the point where, like, you know, so Lex goes to the trouble of like going to try to find him. And then when faced with the obvious that, that mercy pointed out to him, he's like, Oh wait, yeah, shit. Like even she didn't necessarily notice it in the moment, but he's like, Oh, you know, you know what? Now that we're actually looking for it, look totally that's Superman right there. I think that he, he was like primed and desperate to find Superman out of these pictures and he saw it immediately and she saw maybe, and it's not clear by the end of this, whether or not she's convinced, but he doesn't care. He's, he's made his mind up. Um, and so then now it's totally interesting. Like now that we've like played it out, like, so it should now be all the implications of like, not only have I just figured out who Superman is and he's this particular guy, it should like, we don't know this yet. Cause this is like the cliffhanger we're ending this chapter on, but it should now occur to Lex, wait a minute. Lois is the single person on the planet that has the most face to face time with Superman. And she also happens to work with him. Like I'm expecting that we're about to see all the things I just said occur to, to Lex where like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on here with like, how come she doesn't recognize that he's Superman if I just did just by looking at a photo. So what's the next thought if you're Lex and you have that thought? That I guess that she must know, which I guess at least from our understanding, she doesn't. But I, if I'm in that situation and I'm Lex and paranoid and, you know, super genius billionaire dude, I'm going to assume that Lois does know that she works with Superman and is in on the secret. That's that's, like that's that's not true. Uh, but that's that would be the conclusion I would jump to if I was Lex. And with given what I, given all of those bits of information, that would seem like the obvious next conclusion is how would she, how could she possibly not know that that's Superman? She must know and is and is in on it. 
that's that's where I'm I would be if I was Lex as well. And that's what I imagine will make the future conversations fun. Is he's gonna be like, okay, she knows and she doesn't know that I know. So how do I how do I play this? Yeah. Uh, and she which of course is fun because she doesn't know, right? Yeah. So this I'm looking forward to this. And then of course on the back it says Lois Lane, Clark Kent, reporters outside Daily Planet building. So he's got the name. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So where, do you have any uh, thoughts or anticipations of what's coming next? Well, I, I, so I'm like it timing. I'm not sure like where this is going to be like pacing in terms of like advancement of the plot, but yeah, that's the next big thing I'm looking for is, okay, now Lex has this bit of information, especially with what, with what it means about what he thinks is going on in Lois's head that like, okay, how does that play out? Cause this is now a big, you know, a big important point in his understanding of what needs to be done. And so what is he going to do with that? Um, but I don't know, like coming up next, we may like, you know, interlude to some other bit of advancing some other bit of plot, but of the things we know right now, that seems to be like the, the big thing needing addressing. Um, and then like, and then now that, uh, because this is now that new big piece of information, what does now that Lex has a name of a civilian um, and he can now basically know at all times what Superman is up to, um, where, where does he go with that? What does he decide to do with it? Like he knows he doesn't want to like actively confront him, but like Superman, get down here. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I guess. And if I was just going to like, you know, spitball shit and I'm, I'm Lex Luthor and have these ridiculous resources, he'd like start trying to get somebody to get hired. Like, uh, okay, here we go. Random weird Brian prediction. Uh, Lex tries to start bribing Jimmy Olsen. And getting him on the payroll, like he's going to want an inside track. That's what, that's if I'm Lex, that's where I'm wanting to go. It's like, okay, now I know it's Clark Kent. I need to get near Clark Kent. Right on. I like where your head's at. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I'm stoked. Uh, and I think it's. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan. I mean, all right. I I think content warnings are overused and probably uh, not necessarily everywhere they're put. However, this is an R-rated story, and I think Chapter Seven is probably our first definitely R-rated chapter. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we cuss right. enough to, I cuss enough to cover that. Yeah, definitely. We, well, we, yeah, we, we're in our rating with language, but um, some graphic content in this one. Anyway, uh, it's not, it's not gratuitous, but it's there. I only, I only mentioned that because I was skimming through to see which chapters we're doing next week. And I think we're going to do chapters seven and eight. All it's right. bummer. Cause like, I want this, you know, I want this to last forever. Like while we're going through the story. Well, this but- is a, that's what I was just thinking. This is actually a pretty beefy. Um, we probably could have done this episode just on, uh, the one chapter we wanted to, but, it, but you know, what's coming up more than I, but yeah. And I, I looked and it's a bummer. Cause like, you know, chapter seven is pretty short. So here's, here's where we're at. Chapter seven is 4,200 words and together chapter seven and eight are 12 are 1200 words. 12,000, 12. Sorry. Yeah. 12,000. Um, so yeah, four, four, 4,200 words for chapter seven and then another 8,000 words for, uh, so like chapter seven is pretty short. Yeah, I guess it's probably not enough to just. Yeah, let's just do chapter eight, and we'll do chapter seven the next week. <laughs> oh, that doesn't work. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll make it work. I'll I'll try and plan ahead and see if I can chop up the later chapters better. But um, we're getting a feel for it, and then by the time we get a perfect feel for it, we'll be done. So uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. But anyway, we have uh, yeah. Let's do that for next week. We're still going to do I think chapters seven and eight. Good deal. All right. Same time, same place, everybody. Bye, everybody.